0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 261. Pumped to be here. This is the place where young salespeople come to get better at their craft. Um, Excited about this episode. We're kicking off November. We closed October strong. We're getting into it. We're getting towards holiday season coming up. We've got a great interview today with Kara Feldman. Before we get to um, all that good stuff, let's just talk about Kara for a second. She's a badass. We had a great, great conversation. I was so jazzed up after it. Um, she is currently the VP of Sales over at Crescor. She is a member of Pavilion, formerly Revenue Collective, uh, and she's a limited partner at the Go To Market Fund. Uh, prior to that, she ran inside sales over at Resi all the way up until their acquisition of American Express. She tells that story, which is great. And she cut her teeth selling uh, at Single Platform coming out of college. So. Uh, we had a great conversation around just the actual work that it takes to climb up the ladder and to make shit happen. Uh, she tells a great story of you know starting off in sales and maybe not sure if it's right for her, which I think a lot of us have been there. Uh, it turned out that, that she made it happen at the last minute. And it was a career and, and life-changing type of situation. So I think a lot of you will probably relate to that. Uh, hopefully it inspires you. Um, She's someone that I certainly look up to uh, and is a very motivating person. And so I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. Um, Before we get to that, let's have a quick word. Um, First, if you haven't followed us, if you haven't subscribed on Apple and Spotify and YouTube, please do so. That's really the thing that keeps this show going, gives us a broader reach, helps us reach more people. Um, I'm also... Tom Alemo on LinkedIn, add me, and Tommy Tahoe on Instagram and Twitter. So feel free to hit me up there as well. Um, the sponsor of this podcast is Postal.io. Postal, the OG sponsor of the Millennial Sales Podcast. They help create uh, and curate experience. Uh, it's an experience marketing platform, right? So it, it helps you to send gifts to customers and prospects. And in this world where I'm not taking them out to dinner or coffee or meeting them at their office. It's a great way to build rapport, to build trust, to go the extra mile with customers in a digital format. So you, you can go outside of just the standard Starbucks gift card. You can do things like, um, you know, send them from the local brewery or florist or whatever it may be. Super cool platform, easy to use. You'll check them out at postal.io. Again, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you're listening. Um, okay. End of the ad. Let's get into my conversation with Kara Feldman. It's a good one. Let's go. All right. Kara Feldman coming from beautiful Los Angeles, California. Good evening. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I am doing well. I'm doing well. Excited to have you on the show.
1: I'm happy that we finally were able to make this happen.
0: I know, I know a lot of, uh, we're we're playing the, the calendar uh, Tetris game and we finally found the right spot. So, yeah, um, so. I got to start, before we get into anything sales related, I was just looking on your LinkedIn yesterday and I saw you went to Bel Air High School. Does that have any significance to Will Smith's Fresh Prince of Bel Air or is this completely different?
1: It does not. I wish it did. <laughs> Bel Air is in um, Houston, Texas, um, okay. but yes. Yeah. I can't claim that fame. I guess now living in California, if I was, you know, Bel Air, but nope, not there.
0: Okay. So you grew up in Texas then? I did. Okay. And then I saw you went to Georgia and then afterwards you landed up in New York. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I moved to Manhattan two weeks after graduating um, and signed a lease without a job. Um, just, you know, crossing my fingers that I would get a job uh, that can afford to pay New York City rent. Um yep. And that's another story, but we'll probably get into that at this, at some point in the podcast today, but yes, move to Manhattan right after college.
0: Let's no, let's, let's start there because, um, you're not the first guest that I've had on that. They moved to either New York or San Francisco straight after college, no job, I'm going to figure it out. So like, walk me through, you left Georgia, didn't have a job, uh, but you just said like, I'm going to figure something out.
1: Yeah, so we'll back up a year. So my senior year, going into senior year, I interned in Manhattan at Ogilvy & Mather. Um, mm-hmm. I was an advertising and psychology major. I was convinced that I wanted to work at an ad agency. Yep. And I randomly roomed in an NYU dorm with a girl um, named Ellen, who became one of my best friends and my roommate for many years in Manhattan. And at the time, we decided, okay, well, if you get a job and I get a job after college, we should live together. Um, and she was in a rotational program at Morgan Stanley. And so she called me in April um, and said, hey, you know, I got the job offer. Um, I'm going to be moving to Manhattan. We should live together. And I said, OK, but I don't have a job yet. You know, advertising agencies don't hire months in advance like banks. Um, yeah. I really can't sign on the dotted line yet. She said, OK, we'll keep me updated. Um, so May came, uh, graduation's around the corner. And she's like, hey, look, like you got to find an apartment now. Manhattan is absolutely wild. May, June, and July for apartments. She so said, all right, let's do it. Um, I, I hope I get a job. Um, I was interviewing at the time at a couple places, and I signed the lease probably May 15th, um, and I moved to Manhattan um, Memorial Day weekend, so just two weeks later. Um, wow. So I landed a job right after you know the week of graduation. I had job offers really lined up, but it was sign the lease, get a job, move to Manhattan, and then figure out if sales is the right career for you.
0: Yeah. So so was that first job in advertising or what was the first job?
1: Yeah, so it actually ended up being in sales, um, okay. but I wasn't looking at sales jobs. So I actually have a recruiter to thank for where I am today. I was interviewing at Scripps Media, um, part of Food Network at the time, and I wanted to be in the ad research space. And the recruiter said to me, you could do this job, you're qualified, but you're going to be miserable. You're too social. Uh-huh. Um, you have great communication skills you need to be in sales. And I said, oh, I don't really want to be in sales. You know, I don't know anyone in sales. I don't know much about it. And she said, unfortunately, we don't have an entry-level sales role um, under our team right now, um, but you should look into a couple companies. And she pointed me in the direction of Yelp. Um, So Yelp was one of the companies I interviewed with and had a job offer, um, but I actually decided to not take that offer. Um, And a distant cousin of mine had been working at a startup called Single Platform. And I interviewed with them I got an offer with them, and I weighed the pros and cons of going to a company that, you know, is stable, publicly traded, has a huge sales force um, versus a startup. And it was a really hard decision. I, I, you know, phoned a lot of friends to figure out what yeah. was the right move. Um, and I ultimately decided to go to single platform. And that was absolutely the best decision um, in my career.
0: Yeah. did Did you, your parents or older siblings or anyone like that, like, was anyone in sales or was anyone in like startup world or this was like, you were the first to do it.
1: Everyone in my family has a PhD in psychology, literally. Okay. No kidding. <laughs> so I am, I am the black sheep of the family. Um, They tell me that I'm the smart one uh, to get out of education <laughs> and go into business. Um, But no, I was the first person in my, my family to go into sales in the startup world. I'm the risk taker. Um, yeah. And, and here I am today.
0: But I mean, by being in sales for, you know, nearly a decade, like, you pretty much have a degree in psychology, wouldn't you say? Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> I think that my, you know, I I'm, one of my majors in college was psychology. And yeah. I think about the way that you're talking to someone and how are you positioning things or how do you make sure that the prospect feels like they're winning, right? There is so much psychology that goes into selling. Um, and so I do think that that does come into to handy.
0: So when you walk into single platform, it's single platform, right? Correct. So you walk in there day one, fresh out of college, brand new city, you know, the city of dreams in, in New York, like what is your, what's your mentality and like, what's your initial experience, um, in that world, like going through sales training?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this is actually my favorite story to tell, and it is so humbling and also so inspiring. So I joined the team. There was 20 people in our training class. It's a two month program. It's very much Wolf of Wall Street style. You got to do it. If you don't do it, you're fired. Um, You have two months to prove that you can hit 80% of your ramp training goal. It's heavy cold calling. One call closes, very transactional. And on the second to last day of training, I was not at 80% to goal. So I was like, sales is not for me. Um, You know, I moved to Manhattan and my dad said, you're on your own. Um, And I wasn't going to make commission because I wasn't going to hit goal. I was actually going to be let go. So I started interviewing at other companies, trying to just, you know, prepare because I couldn't be in Manhattan without any income. Um, and the second to last day, I was freaking out. The last day, I hit 80% of goal. And I said, wow. I asked my manager, please sit me next to the number one salesperson on our team. She said, okay. So I sat next to the best person. Her name was Vita at the time. And she actually lives in California now. So I, I owe her a visit. Um, and I sat there and I listened to her and I stayed late every single night and I listened to the top reps. I, we didn't have recording tools or anything like that, you know, back in the day. And I just added another headphone in and plugged in and sat there. I took notes. I wrote out scripts for myself. I had sticky notes all over my computer, just reminding me when to pause, when to bite your tongue, you know, when to ask a closing question and that my first month out of training, I was number three in the company. And at the time, there was about sixty five sellers. Wow. So I went from almost being fired to number three in the company in thirty days. And that nice. was not easy. That was a lot of work. Um, but it gave me this, you know realization that hard work beats talent every single time. And from there, I figured out what was my style, what did I need to do? And that was the start of a really successful career in sales, but it wasn't easy. And in fact, that, that month I didn't make commission, I didn't have money to pay rent. And I couldn't ask my dad for rent because the deal was, you can't ask me for money when you move to Manhattan. So I turned to my roommate, who was my you know random friend I met in the NYU dorms, Ellen. And I said, I can't afford to pay rent. And she said, I got you, I'll spot you. She said, you're gonna be great at your job, I will I know you'll pay me back. And I will never forget that because she paid half my rent my first month in New York City. Um, and that was just such a humbling experience. Like I couldn't afford to do anything that my friends were doing. Um, and now, you know, many years later, I'm now investing in companies and now I'm helping my friends be more financially smart. Um, and that was just such an incredible lesson. And I try to tell that to everyone, is because you know, you can turn it around, you just have to be willing to put the work in.
0: Mm. You said half of one of my favorite quotes, which is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard.
1: Yep. That was a single platform saying all over the office. Was it? Absolutely.
0: So take me to the moment, right? Because you said the, the training was two months, right? And you were a few days before that and you hadn't hit 80%. And then you got to 80% on like the last day. So, you kind of have, you're not going to get fired, which is great in that case. But you do kind of have a choice because in your head, you were already kind of thinking, like, I might leave. Maybe sales isn't right for me. You could have said, Oh, I got lucky on the last day and this, you know, made two sales and like we got to, we got it. And like, I'm going to actually go into marketing because that's a better fit. What was it internally that said, No, you know what? Like, I actually can do this. And like, I, not only can I do this, I'm going to like go all in and sit next to Vita and put the headphone in and like make all the plays like what what was that inside you?
1: I think it's two parts. So first, I've always had to work harder than everyone else. Um I repeated second grade. Um I have some learning disabilities. It has not been easy for me. Um so I just naturally have that grit that's like, "Hey, mm. you know what? You got to figure it out." And once something clicks, I'm I'm like, "I'm good." But it takes me a little bit longer. So I knew that about myself. Um, So it was an internal awareness. And the second part was I had unbelievable support. Mm -hmm. Everyone, my manager, my teammates, everyone was rooting for you. It was not a sales force in which people were fighting for commission or, you know, I want to sabotage that sale because it means I get less money. The way that the culture was built at Single Platform was you raise everyone up because if everyone's winning, everyone's celebrating together and you're all going out to the Lower East Side, you know, at 22 (laughs) years old and partying together. And it's more fun when you're with your friends.
0: Totally, I I I wholeheartedly agree, and that goes up to the the leadership up top. Um, Absolutely. So I post grad, I've never done anything similar like in that sort of a transactional model. I sold cut code knives in college, so Pretty that's hard. like a one a one <laughs> meeting close. But educate me a little bit on like that process, like because you're is it a cold call to close or like you you schedule up like a, a meeting where you're going to like walk people through something. Like how does that actually work?
1: Yeah. So single platform was selling small businesses, the ability for them to manage their menu and services in one spot. So let's yep. say you update it on our platform, hence the name single platform and it will mm-hmm. update all the syndicated sources like Google and Yelp and TripAdvisor. They're now actually Got owned it. by TripAdvisor ironically. Okay. Um, and so if it was calling no email, just cold calling small businesses, um, asking for fifteen minutes of their time, pitching them, sometimes showing them a deck, and then saying, "Okay, great. Is it Visa, Mastercard, Amex, or Discover? I'll hold."
2: That's very the aggressive.
1: Question? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it was very aggressive. Um, oh man! You, you know, when I left, when I left Single Platform after two and a half years, transitioned from individual contributor to um, training manager to sales manager. Um, I realized very quickly that that is not what the typical world of sales looks like. There's yeah. methodologies like Challenger and Medic and Sandler. Um, so that was a, um, a good awakening, uh, leaving that bubble. But the bubble also helped me build my strength and work ethic uh, to be where I am today.
0: That's wild. That's a great way to cut your teeth. That, how many, oh, how yeah. many sales would you need to make like in a, in a week? Is it like five or like 20? So like, the
1: monthly quota at that time, just 100% outbound on your own, no support from an SDR was a sale a day, so 21 sales. Sale a day,
0: okay. Man, that's intense.
1: Yeah, but if you got you know, a laundromat that had seven locations, that's a seven look, and you were like, oh my gosh, how did you get that one?
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so it was some of the fondest memories, and, and also some of my closest friends to date are from that, that uh, company. So, I mean, I really have a lot to thank for single platform. And, and a lot of people in Pavilion, a lot of people in yep. my network, are all, you know, SP alum. We'd say SP love.
0: That's awesome. Um, and so from there, like you said, you went to like sales training uh, or sales trainer and then like sales manager. Um, walk me through like taking that next leap from like, you know, AE into first time, you know, being a people leader.
1: It's another good lesson. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm successful today and I'm really proud of where I yeah, I am in my career, but it was not without hardship. Um, so biggest lesson, and I, I try to speak about this as much as possible, because I think a lot of people are scared to talk about the failures that they had and they want to cover it up because it makes them look weak. I think Mm -hmm. it makes you look much stronger. So I love to share that. I was a horrible manager. (laughs) My first time being a manager, um, I was too young. I didn't have empathy. Um, I was not trained to be a manager, the training programs and the support people have today would have changed the way that I had shaped myself as a manager. But you know, when you're 23 years old, being told to manage a team of 18 people, yeah. that's not a recipe for success, right? And so now when I look at that from a, the lens I am today as a leader, my job is to set my team up for success. That means the right ratios, that means the right training, that means the right culture, that means the right compensation plan, right? If your behaviors are not incentivized by money, then the seller's not going to do that because you're in sales to make money and your success is driven by that. So if you don't put metrics in place to allow the seller to achieve their numbers, you know, comp drives behavior. And so yeah. all those things I've now learned. Um, but yes, that was not a very fun time in my life, a very short stint um, because I didn't realize that, you know, it is not fair to hold people accountable to your work ethic. Um, people you know your level of stress and your level of working hard varies and it's not fair to hold anyone to that standard and in fact you have to meet people where they are and empower them and support them for them to rise up but not everyone's going to be an overachiever some people are totally okay with hitting 80 percent and having time to be with their friends right and it's just understanding people's intentions and desires um that was something that was really hard for me. And I didn't have the support to recognize that early on.
0: Can we, can we go a little bit deeper on this? Um, Because I was, I was a player coach. I'm trying to think how old I was, probably 25. Um, uh, You said you were managing 18 people.
1: At 23 years old. That's nuts.
0: Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah.
1: Try doing a listening and then trying to coach. (laughs) I mean, but that's why, you know, I really feel strongly about manager ratios. Like six to eight is kind of the max that you want. Because your job as a manager is not just to like knock down the doors and, and help burn out fires, but I believe it's very, very rooted in coaching.
0: Yeah. I was talking with a leader the other day um, and I am just, I, I'm i feeling from your energy from this call that like, you're a grinder, like you're a hard worker, like you're very driven. And and so is this this other leader that I was talking to. And there, the conversation was about like work-life balance and pretty much saying like, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's got to do what they got to do. But in this person's mind, they wanted to push themselves and like they work incredibly hard and because they want to reach a a really high level of success in their career. And I'm curious how you balance that if you relate to that for yourself individually versus wanting to cater to different types of people on your team, right? You might have someone that is super ambitious on your team. You might have the person that does, you know, Want to just work 35, 40 hours a week, like hit 90% of plan, spend a lot of time with family, whatever it might be. Uh, And then people like all over the map, uh, probably in between those two areas. So I'm just curious, like, how do you actually cater to all of those different types of personality types and ambition levels?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. No one is the same, right? And that was also something that when I was 23, again, I didn't have the empathy to understand that not everyone was like me. Um, now the way I think about it is you have to understand individually what that person wants in life, not about sales, not about their job, like what motivates them, what do they like to do outside of work, you know, what's going on in their day to day, those things are going to help drive their motivations and motivations change, right. So I think that you have to treat every single person as an individual person. And mm-hmm. when you try to cookie cutter approach, it will not work. Very clear. Um, I will say that work-life balance, when I started at Resi, was really, really difficult for me. I found myself answering emails for my reps at 11:30 at night because I felt I had to do that to show them that I had their back. Um, I didn't take many vacation days because I didn't feel like I could afford to. And I actually, moving to Cressacor, um had this—you know—I had a month off between my two jobs um, intentionally to really yeah. reflect. And one of the things that I promised myself in this job, and I learned that, you know, later on at Resi was my work-life balance is important because if I'm always on, I will feel burned out. And if I feel burnt out and it takes me a lot to feel burnt out, I need to prevent that from happening to anyone that works, you know, with me. Yeah. So a couple of rules that I've put in place. These are rules that I am very open and sharing in an upfront contract, uh, whether that's to my CEO or to the people on my team. Um, is a, a couple things. So one is when, you know, during the weekend, don't expect an email from me. And if you email me, don't expect a response unless you type urgent in the subject line. nothing we're not. We're not brain surgeons. There's nothing life threatening. Enjoy your weekend. It's for you. So that's like weekends. Really, work is off limits unless there's something pressing and type urgent in the subject line. Yep. Um, after hours, Slack. If if you need me, after hours here's my cell phone, call me. If it's urgent, call me, text me. If not, if you want to Slack me, do not expect a response. Um, and I've made that very clear because if you're trying, you know, when I shut my computer, my computer's off for the night. And you have to have that disconnect, especially now that I work for a remote company and most people are still working remote due to COVID. You have mm-hmm. to have that disconnect, you know, to the left of me is my, de- is my desk and to the right of me is my kitchen, right? It's yeah. not like I have... <laughs> This commute to work, right? It's maybe, you know, five steps, <laughs> essentially. Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, under setting the expectation of like, after hours, no communication, unless urgent, weekends, urgent, and then PTO. So, you know, there's this guilt that everyone feels like, oh, fun, take PTO, but like, I'll be responsive on Slack, or like, I can take yeah. a demo. When you're on PTO, you're on PTO. I will do your demos. I will do your discovery. Like, people can cover for you, you deserve to totally disconnect. And there's a big difference between a three day long weekend versus a week. And something at Crestle that we're doing is, you know, it's unlimited PTO, but that always isn't the best incentive because people feel like they're not forced to take it. It, You know, there's this contradiction: do you take unlimited or do you just have three weeks on the year? What's best? Um, But we, as a leadership team have committed to saying, we're gonna monitor that. We're gonna, you know, hey, you haven't taken vacation in, you know, four months you know, where can you find time to take some time off? Mm. Um, Because you are so much more well-rested and just happier when you have the ability to disconnect. Um, And personal days, right? Like you can take a personal day. We can limit the meetings that we can do. Um, You know, if if you don't need to see my face, let's do a walking meeting where you and I can both go on our own walk and get our steps in for the day and just talk on the phone. So I do think work-life balance is extremely important because- In a startup, you are always hustling. And when you're on, you're on. But when Mm -hmm. you're off, you deserve to be off, not half on.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like something that I'm personally trying to work on is the amount of times I check email in a day and the amount of times I look at the email, The limiting the amount of time it takes from when I look at the email to respond. I don't know if you ever do this or if the listeners ever do this, but you open up the email and it's like kind of important And so you kind of like you're sitting, you're thinking about it and then you go do something else. Then you like reopen it and then you go do something else. And then like it's six hours later and you haven't responded. Um, It would have just been much easier to just handle it the first time. So that's for me, it's just like it's it's taking the weight away from some of those and just like making quicker decisions and then moving on and, you know, keeping everything in flow versus like it all sitting in my head all day and getting like, you know, just overwhelmed with it all.
1: Totally. What I would recommend is what I do is I time block the end of the day for mm. follow-up emails of conversations that I've had or to-do list. And I have a lot of emails behind this you know, Zoom call that um, are unread. I read them today, but I didn't have the mental capacity to respond in a yep. thoughtful way. So I marked them as unread and labeled them you know, what category they go to. Um, and then at the end of the day, I'll block 45 minutes to really do my due diligence and knock that off. Because there's a lot of studies that show if you go from one thing to the next thing, it's really hard. And you end up saying, oh, I have 15 minutes between this call and that call. Go take a walk, right? Yeah. Go check Instagram or TikTok. Like that 15 minutes is not worth diving into your email. Dedicate yeah. that time so that you can actually feel like you accomplished something. Because those 15-minute increments get away from you. And you're like, oh, where did the day go?
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Um, So... Back to your story a little bit. Um, So at some point you moved from New York across the country to LA. Was that for Resi?
1: That was not. So I um, was actually, my lease was up in Manhattan May of 2020. So I was in Manhattan during the lockdown in my tiny one bedroom apartment in the West Village, no desk, no kitchen table, not much sunlight. And um, Resi had announced that we would be remote until 2021. And at the time I had signed a new lease to move into a new apartment, like my dream apartment that I've worked so hard to to move into. Um, And my boss at the time said, you know, we're gonna be remote. Why don't, you know, you've always talked about maybe wanting to move to California. Why don't you go see if you like it? And he said, huh. You know, my brother's getting married and you know, a very small 15 person wedding in a backyard in July in San Diego. Maybe I should put my stuff in storage, explore the West Coast, you know, during the summer and then come back to Manhattan. Yeah. When I left Manhattan, I knew in the back of my head there was a very strong chance that I didn't come back. Um, but I still was convinced that I would be coming back to Manhattan. Yeah. And I ended up going to San Diego for a month in an Airbnb, LA for a month in an Airbnb, and then I popped over to Seattle and Portland. Um, but while I was in LA, I realized that sunlight makes me really happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and space was something that I drastic, like I just really wanted space. I wanted a clean, you know, marble countertop. I wanted a dishwasher and a washer and dryer. And yeah. I worked so hard in my career to get those things in Manhattan made it really difficult to achieve. Yeah. Um, and I found this apartment just on a whim and it was too good to be true. And I said, you know what? You can do anything for a year. If you love it, you'll stay. And if not, you'll go running back to Manhattan and Manhattan's not going anywhere. Um, yeah. This past weekend was a year of living in LA um, and I'm gonna renew my lease to go month to month. And I love Manhattan and I just went back. Um, but I think that slowing down a little bit um, and you know going on walks to the beach every day is not a bad change in pace.
0: No, not bad at all. I noticed that you, on your little West Coast tour, you, you jumped right over the Bay Area. It went right so over w- us to Portland.
1: I was going to go to the Bay area. Um, that was a plan of mine. And then when I decided to sign the lease, it was cut short. So it was on the, it was on the agenda. I made it out to the Bay in March of this past year. Um, so I did, I did get there eventually this year.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, how has the, the social circle been like moving during COVID? Was it weird, like to try to meet people and stuff, or maybe you already had friends that lived out here?
1: Had a couple friends, but no. I mean, LA was really shut down, um, yeah. basically until March. Um, I'm lucky that there is a group called NYC meets LA, and oh, it wow. is a couple hundred people in a group meet. Um, there's a Facebook page. There's a ton of people that have you know kind of left that the New York lifestyle and joined LA. I do an outdoor yoga class um, on the beach on Saturdays, so nice. I've met a lot of people there. Um, and now I'm start. I mean, I'm going to my first like sales network event this week in Venice. Um, yes. so things are starting to open up, but really I've been busy with this new transition. I left the country for a month, um, in between jobs, um, to seek the most of, you know, you know, before my life is all startup world. Um, yeah. do a little bit of traveling for myself and, and been very busy with weddings. So. I haven't met that many people, but I have a good a, a good amount of friends here. That you know, it's enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I want to learn a little bit more about your Resi days before you moved. Yeah. Um, because you seem to just have such a great run there. Like just getting. I mean, not only was Resi a great company, but just getting promotion after promotion and moving up the ranks so quickly. Um, clearly, you had learned a lot between your first management stint uh, and then your your time at Resi. So, what was different? Like, what were you doing? Differently, more successfully, that you' were able to you know see so much success there.
1: Yeah. So before I got to Resi, I was at a company called Bitly for seven months. And yeah. that was actually a really pivotal moment as well because I actually went back from being a leader to an IC. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly of things that worked and things that didn't work in another yeah. startup, from a leadership perspective, from a prospecting perspective, from a sales training and enablement perspective. So that was a short stent. Um, but the right decision to leave. Um, And when I joined Resi, I joined, I actually emailed them. They didn't have a job open for me. And I emailed and said, Hey, you know, these are the things that I'm good at. And when I was at single platform, I built out a career progression program, a rotational program for sellers to go to product, to customer success, to marketing, to figure out if sales, what you actually want to do, because it's kind of a natural first job, and then you figure mm-hmm. out if that's something you actually are passionate about. So I emailed Rezi, said, these are all the things that I'm good at. I'd love to talk. Um, and the recruiter had started that week. He emailed me and said, you should come meet with our CEO, Ben. So wow. I met with Ben in the um, VC's office. They were, they were camping out there at the time, no, no Resi office, less than 30 employees at the time. And he said, look, you know we have an outside sales team. It's about five people. Um, Our investors say that we should, you know, really commit to an inside sales team. It's much more affordable. We hired someone. It didn't work. We fired them. You think you have what it takes. Kind of the conversation. Wow. I said, yeah, I have a great training program with single platform. I've learned a lot from being at Bitly during the short period of time. I love the restaurant space. I understand how to talk to small business owners. Let's do it. Um, He said, okay, good luck. Um, And I said, but I want to come with the intention to build the leadership, like I want to build the team, I want to scale it, I want to get back into leadership. Um, And he said, Yeah, we'll prove that you can, you know, build our team. So fast forward, I, we have Salesforce, and we have no phone numbers. So I export Salesforce data, I have a company in India sign an NDA, I don't tell anyone, I send it to them, (laughs) I have them put 10,000 phone numbers, I put it back into Salesforce, and I start cold calling on my cell phone. Um, and that wow. was that was in twenty that was July of twenty seventeen, um, and over that period of time, I scaled the team to about seventeen sellers and three managers,
2: wow.
1: um, and to the exit of American Express. So I stayed on board about two years after the acquisition and saw that through. Um, and it was really cool to see the acquisition through. Not only you know being at a company as a thirtieth employee and then exiting at two hundred and fifty employees, but also what the value prop of Resi was to American Express and now to the Platinum Card members. Um, so I learned a lot about corporate world. Um, some of the stuff that's too rigid for me, but yeah. I learned a lot about, you know, and, and American Express is an absolutely incredible company. Um, just not the company that I want to be at today. I like the nitty-gritty, nimble, scrappy, figure it out, be involved in a lot of process um, versus processes built. Follow the you know protocol, you're a cog in the wheel.
0: so you when you first started there, you were like the first inside sales hire Correct. and like you had to prove that you could make the sales and then they said, hey, can do that, then we'll let you build the team kind of beneath you.
1: yeah, so at the time, the leadership team at resi did not have inside sales experience. okay, yep. um they it was basically all people that have worked in the restaurant industry that had connections in their markets. And so the natural progression was okay, well, you're making sales and you're closing more deals than the outside sales team, we should scale this. So I brought on two people, then I brought on four, then we brought on two and then we started building the team. And um, at, you know, for the first, I would say seven months, it was me selling and managing and training and onboarding. <laughs> um, and so I'm used to wearing a lot of hats and then we were lucky enough to bring on um, ahead of enablement, Lacey. And so she took over all of onboarding and training she helped, you know, revamp the scripting and the processing. But up until that point, it was just kind of me in my own world trying to prove that that was, you know, the way of the future of the sales work.
0: So, how like maybe this is just an ignorant question, but like, how do you how did you learn to do that? Right? Did you have? Do you feel like you are just someone that just A B tests and just tries everything until and, and you figure it out? Did you have a lot of like mentors that you met that? had done this dozens of times? Were you a big book reader? Or like what, what exactly like helped you? Because to me, that seems like you did, you had a lot at single platform, a lot of experience, but the resi situation is like to another level. And I think what you're doing now is probably another, another level. So how mm-hmm. do you continue to up-level yourself and, and get better?
1: At the time, I had a few mentors. Um, but when it came to like strategy, it was more so just like my gut. I think that your gut mm-hmm. is... Nine times out of 10, right? Um, and you have to be willing to fail. You have to be yeah. willing to be like, okay, well, this might not work. And I had seen in my past that I had made mistakes, I had done things wrong, and I still came out on top because I took it as a learning experience. And so the way I kind of come into things is not fear-oriented, but like, I'll give it my best. If it doesn't work, let's figure out why. I'm also very data driven. So once I kind of figure it out, okay, this is how many calls you need to make to book a meeting meeting to qualified opportunity, opportunity to close, here's the data, let's go backwards in the funnel and let's come up with some predictable revenue models, right? Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, I wasn't sophisticated enough to actually do planning and capacity, but at the time it was like, okay, I can help people execute the top of funnel and then I can coach them at the bottom of the funnel. And if they're winning, they're gonna get excited and it's gonna be a repeatable process. Mm. Um, And for a while it was like, hey, read the script. Read the script that I wrote. Prove that you can do that, and then after you've gotten out of you know training, then you can make it your own.
0: Yeah. How, um, how do you go about hiring? What do you look for?
1: Yeah. So I'm actually in the process of hiring uh, the founding sales. Alert! Alert! Company. Anyone <laughs> listening?
2: Alert! <laughs> Job opportunity.
1: Um, and I, you know, I think to me the most important thing is emotional intelligence. Mm. Like you have to be aware. You have to be you know, willing and, and just, yeah, a sponge and um, know that things are not going to work out perfectly all the time and super flexible in your thinking. You know, the saying that we used at, you know, Resi all the time was the only thing that's constant in a startup is change,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And so I'm looking for people that are, you know, emotionally intelligent. They can pivot move quickly, not get stuck on things that have empathy um, I'm looking for people that have passion. There's a fire in your belly and I can't create that. I can just help keep it lit. Mm. And so understanding and kind of peeling back the onion to understand, is that fire there or is that a fake fire? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it a strong fire with great wood or is it just like kink? Um, yeah. And I think that is really difficult to interview for, and especially salespeople. They're great at interviewing. <laughs> so um, some of the things that I added on was really a, um, a show and tell component, right? Show me what, you bring on the best, you know, here's some brands that you would want to sell into, why, what would be your process, walk me through your logic and your thinking, um, you know, are we on the same wavelength or not? And expectation setting. I think that is everything. If the expectation of the job is hidden, you're going to be disappointed. I'd rather scare someone a little bit over deliver. Um, and then people be pleasantly surprised and delighted by the role. Um, but like sales is a grind. It's hard. It doesn't matter if you're in an SMB sale or an enterprise sale, there's always going to be ups and downs and the people that can be focused and understand, I can only control so much and what I can control, I will, and I will ask for help and support in ways that I need more, you know, more help Then it, it works. And so I think it's open communication, it is expectation setting and it's being, you know, emotionally intelligent.
0: And emotional intelligence. I mean, do you feel like you can coach on that? Do you feel like you can improve on that? Or do you think that's just really innate?
1: I think it's very difficult because I, I mean, I'm, yes, there are ways to coach on that, but I think it's much easier to coach someone to be a better seller with techniques and strategy than it is to coach someone on how they think about the world and how they perceive things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've got to imagine so you just landed VP of Sales gig over at Cressacore. You just started what last month or 2 months ago?
1: I'm on I think 90 days right now. Okay. I just I just posted a blog article, yeah, 90 days in.
0: Okay. Um that's got to feel good getting the VP title like under a decade uh, in SaaS sales like I mean, just like a moment of recognition like <laughs> like that's a Thank that's a you. hell of a job.
1: It it is really exciting it is also a ton of pressure on my shoulders um, because I'm not sure if you know, but the average VP of sales in, in the tech world does not last a year. Yeah. Um, and I know- I knew I know know didn't myself. want to bring it up. <laughs> no, 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 because I think that I know myself, I can't wait to watch this recording a year from now being in the same position, right? Like I know yeah. myself, I know what it takes to be successful and I know how to ask for help. So you mentioned mentors. I have an amazing network now um, not only is the VC really supportive and I have tools within the VC that, that funds Cressacor, um, I have an amazing network of um, sales professionals that are rooting for me. You know, like they want to see me win. And, you know, one of the things I'm working on right now is a comp plan. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different comp plans out there and I want to get it right. I want to make sure that the people that join my team feel like they can win. Yeah. Um, but I also need to make sure that I'm providing a comp plan that doesn't you know, put the company in a financial disposition, and I'm creating a comp plan that incentivizes the right behavior, right? So one yeah. of the hardest things about having an annual quota is you need pacing. You need to make sure you don't wait till Q4 to hit goal because that is not cool for the VP of sales. Right. So I really wanna get this comp plan right. I've had four different phone calls with people in my network to go over what they've been doing, what they've learned, to give me feedback on the plans that I'm proposing, um and that is just so incredible that i have that support system and so i try to pay it back as well and so i probably take probably too many phone calls a week and and helping specifically women that are trying to negotiate things or people that are going through you know one of the guys from pavilion um reached out and said hey i'm applying for a manager role would anyone be able to role play an interview with me and i said yes and this guy and i now text and he just got four job offers and he was like i want to weigh them you know, I want to hear what you would do and get your advice. And is there things I'm not asking about my contract? And so I want to pay it forward because there's a lot of people that have my back. And it's one of the reasons that I am in the position I am today, but I'm also very well aware that there is a huge task in front of me and I can get there and I know I will, but I got to keep my eye on the prize and stay focused.
0: Uh, I, I mean, next, next time I'm up for an interview, I know who I'm I got, you. For some... I got you. <laughs> we're in
1: the,
0: we're in the circle of trust now. Um, that's great. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. I, I want to, well, before we, I've got a few rapid fires before we get to that. Um, I did want to touch on, you brought up, you know, a a lot of your focus that you bring on is, is for female, either sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders. If they're say negotiating comp or their role or whatever it might be, what, what thoughts or, or what tips would you have for listeners, um, that are young female sellers or, uh, either maybe early sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders for um you know how they should be handling their career and like what they should be thinking about
1: yeah i like get giddy thinking about that because there's <laughs> just so many small nuggets to provide but it's confidence own it own the room you are successful you should not be ashamed of that you should be proud um i think that you know i was just on the phone with um someone that i used to work with uh, that was under one of on my team and she said you know they they offered me this title. And I said, what's wrong with that? Said, it's too big of a title for me. I said, why do you think that? I said, well, it just, it seems like a lot. Like this is my role today. That's a big jump. And I said, well, first of all, titles are kind of like, you know, everyone can have a different title for the same role. I said, I would be more concerned with your compensation, but if they feel that's the title, you are qualified for it. You just have to own it. Mm. And she said to me, you know, you're right. Because if, you know, historically, if a man got that offer and was less qualified than me, the guy would say, yeah, cool. And why am I think, why am I doubting myself? Right. Why Mm. am I not thinking I'm worthy of that? Um, And so that there's still a lot of work to be done in the industry of like, you are worthy, you're just as capable. Um, And I think that there aren't a lot of female sales leaders um, you know, the company I work for is based in the Bay, right? How many VP of sales are women in the Bay? Not that many, right? Yeah. So um, I think that it's being proud and speaking. And I try to do as many podcasts or webinars or, you know, anything I can do to participate, because I think just more people need to speak up. Um, I was just listening to something about, it's called women in sales and maternity leave, right? Mm. And that is a really... Tough subject is leaving your job to raise a child and coming back. And how do you balance working and being an executive? Um, Mm. And, you know, those conversations are getting more common and more accepting. Um, But I would just say, like, be proud of who you are and what you've done. And, like, don't be afraid to ask. If you ask, great. The worst I can say is no. But if you don't ask, you could be shooting yourself in the foot because the person to the left of you could be less qualified and making so much more money because they were confident enough to ask.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how often just as as people we we put limiting beliefs on ourselves or we put limits on like what mm-hmm. our asks are. It's actually funny um because we're, I know that advice was was for women but like even me personally everyone. it is for everyone. Like I was talking with someone uh and I'm you know hunting for uh some additional responsibilities and literally in a conversation I had a couple weeks ago I said, "Well, you know, maybe I could go for that. Actually, no, I'm not qualified for that. How about uh, no? And uh, no, and I'm like, I'm having this conversation with myself, with someone right. else, and I'm like, I'm def- I'm knocking myself down before I even get the objection. You know what I mean? It's like you're right. negotiating with yourself. So exactly. I feel like not doing that, um, especially early in in your career when you, like, a lot of it is like what it sounds like at Resi and other places is you just you take the job. And you're going to figure it out. Like you don't know it all on day one. If you did, then you probably took too small of a job, right? Correct. Um, And you're learning to it.
1: Exactly. And there's a lot that I'm doing right now that I don't know. There was a lot at Resi that I did I didn't know. But I think being honest and knowing like, you know, this is what I think we should be doing. I'd love to get your opinion. Yeah. Back channeling. Um, What the team that I used to manage at Resi before I left, um, I helped, you know, we had three managers underneath me. Two out of the three were internal promos. And I use the term gut check. Just come to me when you need that gut check, but I trust your gut. And so the idea is if you're unsure, bounce that idea off of somebody that you trust just so they can boost your confidence back up, right? The gut check isn't for me to contradict that thought process. If it's way out of left field, I'll say, eh, gut's not really there. But typically if your gut is saying, this is what I want to do, You just want that bounce back of like, yeah, thumbs up, go for it. And you're like, all right, good. And a lot of it is just building that confidence up in yourself. Totally. Because you're so scared to make the mistake. And so, like, the moral of the story today is like, I've made a lot of mistakes in my career (laughs) and I will continue to make mistakes, right? That I'm human, um, but I own them and I accept them and I share them because no one should have to make the same mistakes. And I think people just need to talk about that more. It doesn't make you less qualified, it doesn't make you less hireable. In fact, I think it makes you so much more desirable because you're aware of like, hey, I made this mistake in hiring the first few people at Resi. I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to communicate that to our new recruiter across the core and say, hey, I have a little bit of PTSD. These are the things that I messed up in hiring for the first sales hires. I want to be super cautious of this. Can you go over my questions and make sure that I'm really tailoring it to that specific thing? She's like, yeah, totally. Right. You learn and you apply, and and that's growth.
0: Yeah, and I, I appreciate you being the anti Instagram filter, like bringing it real. <laughs> yeah. like that's what we like to do on the show is just like let's let's keep it real for like what what yeah. the ups and downs are really like. And um, I think we need more of that. Um, all right, let me hit you with a few rapid fires before I let right. you get out of here. All right. Sounds um, good. So, what is bumping in the Kara Fellman Spotify playlist or Apple Music playlist nowadays?
1: Oh, people are going to make fun of me, but I am just still obsessed with the Justin Bieber album. <laughs> I know, I know, laugh, right. but I just, the Justin Bieber album has been, he just keeps adding more to the album. So I've been listening to that a lot. Um, yeah, that would be no I shame there.
0: I love it. Don't, you know, no, no shame at all. Um, okay. What, what are any of the favorite like uh, podcasts, YouTube uh, people you follow on LinkedIn, any, anywhere where you go to learn, I guess, um, a- anything that you tune into?
1: Yeah. So I follow a lot of the VCs um, on LinkedIn. They come up with yep. a ton of great content. Um, so that's definitely a primary source. Um, I'm in three different Slack channels about learning and opportunities. So I, I really read a lot of that. If I'm walking or just like sitting on my couch, I'll just scroll through and like see some of the learnings. Um, but I would say that I love Sarah Blakely. Um, she just oh, me too. Fuck
2: and yeah! and
1: I don't know if you saw the Instagram that she put out, she posted it on LinkedIn, I did. but she bought every single one of her employees, two round trip tickets, first class to anywhere in the world to celebrate the success. Um, and her story of starting Spanx, um, you know, from the bottom up and how I built this is one of my favorite podcasts, but she is just such an, I mean, literally fangirl over her um and her husband is the ultimate hype husband and also extremely successful, um, but I everything that she puts out, I'm like, yep, I agree, absolutely.
0: I am mildly obsessed with both of them. Yeah, her and Jesse, it's her husband. Yeah. Um, and not only did she give first class tickets, she also gave them all ten grand to yep, spend on that to trip. spend on
1: the trip. Exactly, and they do so much charity work. They are just yeah great people, and you know, in the tech community you know, people join startups because they want to hopefully get struck by lightning and the company get acquired. Right. And that's the dream. And that's why you go early and you get equity. And there's this beautiful story, but that story is not always beautiful. In fact, it's very difficult to be struck by lightning. Um, And I think that Sarah shows the real vision of like, she took no money from anyone. Like she struggled and then she did this. And it's like inspiring for people to understand like it did not happen overnight. It's been 25, 30 years of her building this. She's just turned 50. You know, she got married at like 37. Like she is the un-Instagram filter as well. And so I am very transparent and blunt and that's who I am. Um, And, you know, now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, huh, maybe I do draw inspiration from that, from her because she is who she is. Um, And people are drawn to that.
0: Good person to be inspired by. Um, totally. Okay, a few more for you. Um, favorite book? It could be fiction, nonfiction, sales, non-sales, psychology book that your parents read because they're psychologists. <laughs> Anything come to mind that has been uh, either a favorite of yours or impactful or something that you're you've dug into recently?
1: Yeah. So I have to admit, I am not a reader. I don't okay. love reading.
0: Okay. Um, I'm trying
1: to get better at it. Um, there's quite a few sales books that I have read. Um, I did read um, the qualified sales leader and medic over, you know, the break between my two jobs, but a book that really resonated with me very young. And I've sent this book to many friends is called the art of happiness by the Dalai Lama. And it's Hmm. the Dalai Lama and a therapist talking to each other about life.
0: Wow. That's going immediately into the Amazon shopping cart. Yeah.
1: The art of happiness by the Dalai Lama.
0: Okay. I like it. I like it. All right. My last one for you. You said you're passionate about the food space. You're selling in the food space. Um, give any recommendation. You haven't spent much time in the Bay Area. So I guess we'll do New York. Uh, I could, I could give reco. you a couple
1: Bay. I could give you a okay. couple Bay. Give but, me a couple but, Bay.
0: Give me, give me your top, top one to two in New York City, Bay Area, LA area.
1: Okay. New York City, if you are going for like Great Mediterranean, I would say 12 chairs. I would say okay. that um, Shuko is my favorite Japanese restaurant in Manhattan. It's an omakase meal that's to die for. Okay. Um, and I love Chinatown dumplings. I have a dumpling tour, can send you those links.
2: Okay. Um, but
1: yeah, so I love the, you know, hole in the wall dumpling spots in Manhattan. So those are three in Manhattan. In San Francisco, I was just there, I went to Robin, which is amazing okay. omakase as well. They play hip hop music, really funky vibes. Love yeah. that. Swan Oyster was incredible. Nice. Um, and those were the two that were like most memorable on that trip. Um, there's definitely a lot on the hit list to go to. Um, and then in LA, um, I would say there is this incredible taco shop um, in front of Whole Foods on Lincoln in Venice. It was Anthony Bourdain's favorite taco spot. Two fifty tacos, unbelievable. So I would say that is amazing. And then um, I have got to look up the name because I should know this by now. But I've been a few times, and I'm not someone that loves to repeat restaurants in a new city until I've really gotten there. Um, But this restaurant I've repeated. So let me pull up my Resi plug for Resi. There we go. Pull up my past reservations. So I could share that.
0: And what's the name of that taco shop? It's just,
1: it's it's literally it's like, like a, it's a taco shop. It's a food truck. Yeah.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Um. Doo, doo, doo. I do love great white in, in Venice, which is very good. But the restaurant that I am thinking of is. Come on. Oh, I love Estella in Manhattan too. This is a very hard question for me to answer, <laughs> but in, in LA, Bertie G's is okay. incredible. That would be my like favorite restaurant I've had so far.
0: Okay. We're adding these to the list. Anyone in any of those areas, check them out. Um, yes. Kara, this was a blast. Thank I you so much. I'm so happy this one. worked out. <laughs> yeah, me too. Literally
1: months in the making, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy. And if anyone wants to connect with me um, on LinkedIn, um, super active on LinkedIn and always happy to help um, whether it's like finding the right job or trying to figure out how do you have a tough conversation with your manager um, or like what should you be getting in, in equity in a company right now is a wild place to be hiring um, it is definitely an employee's market um, yeah. so everyone know their worth um, and you know do what's best for you um, but at the end of the day like it's such a pleasure to be in sales and, and get to network. And, you know, this remote life allows you and I to be on the same coast, but have a really awesome conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved having you on. Everyone definitely go check Kara out on LinkedIn. If you're a Pavilion member, you can hit her up in the Slack channel there. Um, and for everyone else, we'll, we'll be back next week with another episode. So thanks, Kara. I appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you so much. Thanks for checking out that episode of the Millennial Sales Podcast. We're in the home stretch. November and December of 2021. Let's close this on a strong note. Please make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening here. They'll help me grow this show and provide better content for you. Otherwise, hit me up on LinkedIn, Tom Alemo. I'll see you there.
2: Peace.